Hey, everybody, this is Carl. Just with a word before we get into our podcast today. In the middle of our conversation with Reverend Chris Mominy, he mentions Kim, his wife, who passed away after a long illness. It's clear to us that the work that Chris is doing at Adrian College represents an investment of his time after that loss in a lot of young lives, calling people into deeper lives of faith. And we wanted to honor Kim's influence on Chris and uh, her continued influence now as Chris imagines the future for this kind of work. Thanks, Kim. Compelling Lives at Adrian College. This is the Reverb Podcast. Let's go. All right, everybody, this is Carl Gladstone, and we're uh, back with the Reverb Podcast. Today, our guest is Reverend Dr. Chris Mominy. He's the uh, chaplain at Adrian College in Adrian, Michigan. Chris, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. I appreciate you getting in touch with me, Carl. Happy to talk. Now, I uh, graduated from Albion College, of course, and so it pains me greatly to be talking here with the Bulldog from Adrian, but um, <laughs> but we do appreciate um, some of the news that's coming out of some recent board meetings at Adrian College uh, and how they're envisioning a new role regionally in calling young people into communities of vocational discernment, both youth and undergraduates and, and beyond. Um, Chris, could you give us a sense of kind of how you have been engaged with students on campus already in uh, engaging students in their faith uh, as a part of their academic experience at Adrian College? Sure. Um, I often say that uh, my very closest relationships in this ministry are with students. You know, that may be a cliche, but that can be a hard thing to do. I can honestly say that I'm closest with students but a very close second is uh, a collection of relationships with the faculty. And that may be a little harder to pull off at, at some places than others, but here uh, I have intellectual credibility, which has really been helpful because we've been able to unite our vocational discernment program with our academic departments, uh, particularly the philosophy religion department. We don't have a rigid curriculum that students follow to get a BA in ministry or uh, anything like that, but we have recommended classes that then are linked up with our pre-seminary group is the generic term I'll use. So we've been doing that for several years. Uh, interestingly enough, a about 20 years ago, the undergrads at that time brought back an old, old-fashioned name for the group. It's <laughs> called the Major Coal Association, which is really <laughs> odd, but it's named after a guy named James Cole or Jim Cole, who was a soldier in the Civil War from Adrian, Michigan, 
And he ended up being a pastor, Christian speaker, an evangelist, outreach kind of person who was the advisor for our students, I mean, a hundred plus years ago. Hmm. So in the 1970s, of course, they dropped that name because that wasn't hip and cool and all of that. (laughs) But it's kind of a, a parable of where a lot of my students are that even today, they still call it Major Cole, and they're happy to call it that. So everything that's old's new again, I guess. <laughs> now, students at Adrian have been uh, looking to that kind of Civil War era to reclaim some of that heritage for their work today in a lot of different ways, right? Can you talk a little bit oh, about yeah. the anti-human trafficking work that the students have been doing? Absolutely, yes. Uh, the... Uh, Anti-human trafficking work here really started in 2007. Now, we had some awareness and some learning and teaching around that before that. But in 2007, we organized our group. And uh, what that means is this is the 10-year reunion. So we're going to have a big homecoming reunion um, and not have everything be about the football game and <laughs> you know which is fine but uh, we're actually going to have an uh, an anti-trafficking group reunion so we we've got people coming back from uh, some from Ireland um, some have been in Alaska or in other places we have one grad who was a a Fulbright fellow and I'm not sure she's going to make it back but anyway they're going to come back and meet the current students and so the whole experience we've had here has been tapping into our identity as an abolitionist college. 1859, the eve of the Civil War, the uh, Underground Railroad was prominent in this area. So when folks ask me, um, wow, how do you do this anti-human trafficking thing? Are you affiliated with this, that? Do you do an out-of-the-box program from such-and-such international? Mm-hmm. It's really, we're just doing uh, our own identity. So that's been a powerful thing. In, in fact, it's been a real strength. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it sounds like uh, the, the playground in which you are working with these students has a, a fruitful combination of kind of the practical and the theological uh, a group that's willing to sit down and do the intense, you know, theological academic work in a pre-seminary kind of program, those conversations tied with students that are eager to put that kind of, that kind of academic work into, into practice on the streets for the good of the world. Is that pretty, is that Yeah. Uh, yeah. I appreciate the way you phrased that. <laughs> if you were to ask me, I probably would have stumbled around to get at that kind of uh, definition, but it's a very, um, <clears throat> It's a very, I don't know if it's paradoxical, but uh, we have a real sort of student-centered culture, but it's also very academically focused. And and that's something that doesn't happen in a lot of places. Um, you know, I could be very much a professor. I'm a part-time professor, but I could be a full professor who really isn't doing ministry on student level. That's not the case. Or I could be... Uh, a pastor 
doing interesting and certainly reputable ministry on a student level, but without the academic connection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, quite frankly, some academic departments in some places aren't very receptive to that, that integration. But here we are able to have our intellect uh, taken seriously, and some of those students study with me in my role in the department, not not all of them, though. Some of them study with my colleagues who are open to them in their lives of vocation and discernment and ministry. And at the same time, uh, we want to be out there sensitive to a lot of human rights issues. And, and anti-trafficking is one that fits our institutional identity. So we've gone to uh, the state capitol and, and sat in hearings on proposed bills that will address human trafficking and tried to advocate for things that way, as well as some of the less weighty ways of doing that. I mean, we've had ultimate Frisbee tournaments to raise money, uh, you know, and uh, we've done that and we've raised money and then, and then given the funding to places that support people who are at risk for trafficking or one particular school in Thailand, which helps um, people who are recovering children who have, have been uh, helped out of tr- human trafficking. So, you know, it takes all those forms. I love it. I wonder if yeah. I wonder if Adrian founder Asa Mahan ever had a ultimate frisbee competition to raise. I, I kind of doubt that. You know, you had to mention him. He's my hero. But um, yeah, I I don't know. But uh, his his uh, his image f- figures prominently on any of our promotional material. You know. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> although as students did uh, a part of a sort of food drive and so forth, they did a "What Would Asa Do" uh, theme. Uh, nice. And, and some of that stuff. So <laughs> the the history here is very much alive, and and it is appreciated by faculty very much. It's uh, um, a part of the you know woodwork of the place, and the students get into it. Um, and the administrators, I think, want to appreciate it, but sometimes they're scratching their heads at how contemporary students could find some old dusty story cool and inspiring, but they do. Yeah. Well, so yeah. out of that history is kind of being birthed a new vision for uh, some new ways to kind of put these things into practice. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of the things you've envisioned at, at recent board meetings? Yeah, certainly. The... Uh, structure of the Adrian College Board of Trustees is probably like a lot of uh, United Methodist-related college structures, although one thing that we're especially proud of, I suppose, maybe uh, protective of as well, is that we do have a standing committee that is uniquely devoted to church-college relations and support of the chaplaincy and interaction with the philosophy of religion department. So, Instead of being subsumed under some large umbrella of student affairs, which is fine, but oftentimes people will make the assumption that because chaplains are student-centered, just as I am, that we automatically are student affairs people and have that whole ideology drive everything we do. I'm student-centered, but I'm theologically driven. And and we have a separate committee, which uh, got together at the most recent Board of Trustees meeting, 
And with some prompting from me, our bishop was present, uh, very much appreciated him being there. And we've had some longstanding leadership that's very thoughtful. We sort of said, you know, let's take the strengths of what we're doing as far as vocational discernment. Let's take the strengths Mm -hmm. and let's go further with them. So I can't really say it's rolling out a completely new thing, but it's getting to a point where we're saying, you know, let's let's really do this. And that means uh, an even tighter connection with philosophy religion department, tapping into the anti-slavery identity even more, and um, potentially, and this is maybe an invitation and a call to work with other folks, to have a regional, and I'm saying that as a sort of generic term, so I don't know if it's jurisdictional or not or something <laughs> else. You know, it may be a couple of annual conferences or what, but have a regional um, a vocational discernment call event, and we would be happy to host that at Adrian College and do some in-depth, a uh, couple of days uh, in-depth reflection on readings and scripture and prayer, and also make it uh, not only a clergy recruitment event, but um, a real listen, find your voice, call, listen, um, dialogue sort of event. Is that the kind of focus that you've heard expressed? Uh, is that the interest that the students you work with would say they'd, they'd be interested in an event that certainly talks about clergy, but also all of the other ways that you could kind of live out your your faith in your vocation? Well, yeah, I'm, I always hesitate to speak for students, <laughs> you know, just because <laughs> <Good man. laughs> everybody's got their own take. Yeah, I've, I have a, a friend of mine in the office who just hates it when anybody uses the term millennial, you know. She's <laughs> like, I don't, don't want to be typecast and, and analyzed, just, you know, treat me as a human being. So I don't want to uh, reduce everybody's opinion to what I think it is, however, We've always taken a very large group to the large primary United Methodist call event, Mm -hmm. you know, every two years. We've taken, in some cases, I think the largest, quote, group, end quote, from any single ministry site in the connection. That doesn't mean other annual conferences don't bundle larger groups, but our site, as our particular college, has always had this, you know this crew. <laughs> so, uh, and they've gotten a lot out of that, but the reason we're thinking about moving into a more regional, intentional, uh, academically grounded event is because, number one, about half of the folks who go with me aren't United Methodists. So they get a lot out of going to a United Methodist event. They're not resentful about that. They don't feel tricked. I, I you know, communicate transparently with them ahead of time. But I think you hit it. Uh, They're looking for something that isn't just a clergy recruitment thing for a denomination. They're looking for something that is really wanting to meet them at that point where God is talking to them. They're listening. They're looking for their own voice. And that's really where they are. It might be as clergy in our connection. It might be in some other kind of ministry. And my student population really needs that framework, I think, a little more than some others. 
So you've seen the value of that kind of undergraduate focus, vocational call and discernment experience, um, uh, banking a little bit on the idea that you get a bunch of people in the room that are kind of doing this vocational discernment work, and all of a sudden we can be inspired and encouraged in that together. Um, kind of the value of those gatherings, certainly. Um, tell us a little bit about a vision for a little bit younger for youth, high school youth, and how they might be engaged in a in a re envisioned kind of community there with the epicenter being Adrian College? Sure. Uh, this, is, this is all in the preliminary stage right now, and I know there are some other uh, folks who are further along in their own models, but there's been more conversation lately about theology institutes for um, older high school students. One thing I really like about that concept um, is, if nothing else, it breaks this taboo that you can't talk theology with high school students, right? right? right yeah. you, can do, you can do confirmation, you can do basics of the Wesleyan tradition or what have you, but, uh, you know, nobody goes to college um, with an already established journey of, of deep theological conversation and vocational discernment. And I agree that, you know, people are certainly very, very malleable and flexible at different ages. I'm 55. <laughs> and, and after uh, losing Kim uh, last year, sure, I, I'm having my own conversation about the rest of my ministry, you know. Yeah. But I think the young people... Uh, can do so much more, uh, and I'm thinking rising high school juniors and seniors, others may do it differently. So we're trying to develop a summer institute at Adrian College where we would tap into our unique anti-slavery experience. Mm -hmm. And um, what that would mean is, uh, well, the, the title, the preliminary title of this thing is Compelling Lives compelling lives. And the idea is to to play in all kinds of ways off of the uh, language of listening, hearing, and finding your voice, right? Mm -hmm. So that uh, if we listen to the past and the compelling lives who were brave people who stood against injustice, um, at times that were at least as difficult as our own time, mm -hmm. that that we can hear God in that conversation. Um, and of course, around here, I can get vans and we can go out to grave sites of uh, underground railroad saints, you know, right, right. climb around in the woods a little bit, and also um, do some library manuscript transcription, which, which is kind of the other side of it. We can go we can go from the field into the library where we have handwritten manuscripts of people who were in the anti-slavery movement that these things have never been transcribed and they're difficult handwriting and we could help 17 and 18 year olds at least contribute to uh, you know transcribing a page from the journal of so and so who was a famous abolitionist or whatever. So we're going to we're going to try to do all that stuff, you know. That's but, great. Uh, yeah. yeah. We continue. And I think the, the benefit of having a number of different kind of youth theology academy type things is that each can focus in a different way 
Right. What right, I'm hearing yeah. from compel, you know, your vision, your description of compelling lives is taking care to be sure that young people aren't just doing this so that they might get better grades in their religion classes in college or in their you know, right. upcoming seminary classes, but, right, right, right. but that yeah. they're being uh, prepared at a young age to take yeah. a rich theology directly into the streets. To absolutely. Absolutely. We, we go out, I, I don't mean to be so Gabby, but <laughs> we go out to the grave of a woman named Elizabeth Margaret Chandler. And in fact, our students have restored aspects of that grave because like a lot of you know, sacred places out in the country, they get neglected. Mm-hmm. So we've, you know, rebuilt the fence and cleaned the stone and done a whole bunch of other stuff. And uh, Elizabeth Margaret Chandler was actually a poet. And so she left behind a collection of poetry. So there you have a link with some literary uh, studies. But she was a Christian poet who dealt with issues of women's rights and the anti-slavery movement. You know, so you got all these kind of a nexus of all that stuff. And tragically, she died at the age of 26. Mm. So I can stand out there. This is a little bit sharp, but I can stand out there on a hillside in the country at the grave of a woman who died before she was 27. And I can say to my students, um, you know, what do you think? Do you think people would remember you, Hmm. you know, like we remember her? And I don't do that as a heaviness, but just look what she did, you know, as a young person, look what she did. Yeah. What an opportunity you have in between yeah. now and yeah. <laughs> before you turn 30 yeah. to really make a yeah, difference Yeah, no world. kidding. Yeah. So if they're, you know, the high schoolers are going to be, you know, certainly a little bit younger, but if I've got undergraduates and they're 21, yeah. you know, some of them look at me and they're like, the clock's ticking. I'm, you know, I've only had five years, which isn't my point, but <laughs> I'm just saying, hey, you can do certain things that are courageous and faithful. And people will learn from you 150 or 60 years later, you know? So. Well, we're really glad to talk to people on at all different kind of timelines in envisioning this kind of work with young people. And we're thanks for uh, being willing to share some of the initial invitation. Um, and to that end, who are the partners in the clergy and local churches and the denomination and community partnerships, who are the, who are the partners that you envision would make this kind of thing the, the best it can be? Well, I, yeah, I want to be careful that I don't um, start to name too many names uh, <laughs> sure. of people I've had only preliminary conversations with, right? So, uh, <laughs> but uh, because he's an exceptionally good sport, <laughs> I will mention Bishop David Bard. Um, because as we were talking about this youth institute and I was talking a bit about, you know, which compelling lives would we be studying and listening to? I talked about this poet and someone else in the room said, well, I happen to know a bishop who has a particular interest and expertise in poetry. I didn't know that. I don't know if you knew that. No. But our, our so, um, and I looked at this person who was 12 feet away from me, even though the bishop was on the other side, five feet away from me. And I said, well, you know, I know him to be a really terrific guy. So maybe if I ask 
nicely and early enough, he'll be able to help us with the poetry teaching that goes along with his institute. I love it. You know, and, and he said he'd be happy to do it. So, you know, that's one person. But we would really want to partner in a specific way with um, the United Methodist Church in Michigan. We could do wider than that if if the opportunity presents itself. And the other organization would be the one that I am active in called Historians Against Slavery, Mm. um, which I haven't mentioned yet. But this is a group of historians, not all church historians, but historians from around the country who have organized themselves over the last six or seven years to fight human trafficking. Yeah. So we have a sort of church community and then an academic professional association That's that could be a part of that. So, Well, um, Chris, what are, what are some other ways that people can stay in touch here as this um, ministry vision kind of develops, uh, support you in, in that work, either now or in the future? Um, give us a sense of where people can, can connect with you. Yeah, um, I think that a lot of this will be developed over the course of the rest of this summer and then into the fall of 2017. Uh, I'm happy to have people contact me and express ideas, interest, you know, some mutual things. And um, I don't have uh, a lot of sophisticated, you know, things other than social media that (laughs) that might be (laughs) available. But email is c-m-o-m- a-N-Y at adrian.edu. Um, and I am on Facebook uh, as Chris Mominy. Now, my son is also named Chris. <laughs> and uh, I failed to recognize the perils of that um, 26 years ago, right? So uh, he may end up getting some contact and saying, Dad, I think this is one for you. But. <laughs> Uh, I can be reached through Adrian College. Um, sure. The student and, and the people know me as Pastor Chris or Reverend Mominy or whatever gets people to the telephone or through the email contact. So, great. Well, Chris, yeah. thanks, thanks so much for telling us a little bit more about Compelling Lives and all of the other programs that Adrian College envisions for helping young people discern their call into this really deeply engaged life of Christian faith, um, both in the academy and in the world. Thanks. Well, I appreciate uh, the time, Carl. It's, It's my pleasure. Let our voices ring Let our voices ring, let our voices ring. Young People's Ministries is a division of Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. Check out more at umcyoungpeople.org. And special thanks to Aaron Hale for this song, I Am Because We Are. You can check out more from him at aaronhale.bandcamp.com.